0: I know that I'm ready here in Nebraska. Let's get this party started then, shall we? Crown's never set on this podcast. Quite (laughs) right. So welcome back to the Cromcast. This is season eight, episode two. We are here to talk to you tonight about a Talbot Mundy story called The Soul of a Regiment. We're very excited to do it. We get to break out our awesome British impressions the whole night long. (laughs) And Josh is really psyched to do that. Uh so I think it's going to be a good episode. Who are you sir? I'm Jonathan. <laughs> and I'm <am> Josh. <laughs>
1: and I'm
0: Luke. <laughs> what what?
1: Oh, boy. <laughs> that was yeah, I was I was going for like Mickey Mouse tiny tim, but I wasn't I didn't play it right.
2: Oh, man. <laughs> you said more like Towelie. <laughs> I just watched.
1: I just watched Mr. <laughs> Mr. Hanky the Christmas Pooh like last night.
2: That's what. Uh,
1: that's what Lizzie and I were watching in terms of our Christmas prep.
0: Nice. Yep. Or go frosty and go straight for the Christmas poo.
1: I've been. I've been living some frosty too. But yeah. After happy hours. Happy birthday!
2: <laughs> <laughs> I laugh every time I hear it. Yep. <laughs> Christmas. Carrie because that's how
0: I respond when people say "Happy Birthday" to me on my birthday. You just shout "Happy Birthday!" I can just shout like are frosty birthday with back. snowman. <laughs> happy <laughs> birthday!
2: Good.
1: Yeah, this is a this is going to be a fun night, guys. I'm I'm excited to uh, be back on the mics with you. Same. I treasure our friendship.
0: You <laughs> know, <laughs> it, it is a mini splendid thing our friendship. <laughs> Do we want to start with what alcoholic beverages we are enjoying? I think we should. Yeah. Okay. I will allow you two to go first. Then. Okay. Josh.
2: I brought over some Newcastle brown ale the one and only it says on the label because it is an english uh an English beer mm-hmm. and uh it's pretty yummy although it says it's brewed and bottled in Amsterdam Holland yeah. which is pretty funny so um Scotland swamp water and then imported by uh some some person <laughs> some company in White Plains New York
1: like Miller cool, milklikurs.
2: Yeah, probably. Probably. So that's what we're drinking. What? What? What about you, Good Luke?
1: We uh, also have some Maker's Forty Six. Pour a little, a little touch for us, just to uh, you know keep us
0: from getting cold. Nice. And we got to maintain. I'm doing some Knob Creek 100 proof over here, so I'm one proof down from what I'm normally drinking. But I thought I'd spice it up,
1: <laughs> be a little different.
0: <laughs> If we were being very English tonight, what would we be drinking? Like pale ales and they'd be warm, I or, guess. Or
1: the brown ales. I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. A nice a a nice, gin? a nice mug of bitter, maybe some gin, maybe a uh, a bottle of a bottle of scotch or uh you know, some sort brandy. of brandy, whiskey. Port. Port? Some sort of
2: uh, That's port, Portuguese, man. Yeah. Right? Is port from Portugal? I've always thought that. I don't know if it's real.
0: I don't know. <laughs> Somebody will correct us on yeah, Twitter. Yeah, let's, sure. let's not bother looking <laughs> it up. So
2: let's just go with port is from Portugal.
0: <laughs> Scotch is from Scotland. Scotch
2: is from Scotland. Bourbon is from Kentucky.
1: Cool. That's uh that's what we're drinking. Maybe we can uh jump into our other thing we do at the front end.
2: I always close my eyes when we play that one because it's like I don't know. I'm kind of epic. I'm getting ready to disappoint everybody with the thing I've been watching. <laughs> what? Maybe I
0: insist that you go first because it's never disappointing.
2: Well, last time I mentioned Daredevil, and in the intervening time since then, <laughs> Netflix canceled Daredevil. So I'm I'm drunk with power.
0: <laughs> what will you destroy tonight?
2: I, I won't destroy anything. In fact, I will recommend an album by a band called murder by death and it's called the other shore uh murder by death formerly of bloomington indiana Mm -hmm. now of louisville kentucky right and they've been recording and touring off and on fairly steadily since what like 2005 2006 yeah and uh every release that they uh Put out there has at least a handful of of really strong, really good songs on it. Um, my favorite of theirs is an album called "Good Morning Magpie," um, and this album reminds me of that quite a bit. Uh, it's it's the the composition work is stellar. Um, the The lyrics are are good. It's catchy. Um, Adam Turla the made, the lead singer's voice has kind of a an ethereal Johnny Cash vibe to it and um the uh, cellist whose name I think is Sarah Ballier but uh I think she and Adam are married now um th- she is is a total badass as well and the addition of the cello to this like gothic country americana folk Whatever it is, just adds this this other layer to the the song composition. Um, so good, so so good. Luke, you've been listening to them for a while too.
1: Yeah, yeah, I really I really like those guys. I need to uh, give the new album a listen though. I haven't I haven't done so yet.
2: Yeah, I dig it a lot. So everybody, go check out Murder by Death. Uh, all of their stuff is good. The new album is called The Other Shore, and it came out in September. Cool, cool. I'll kick it over to Luke
1: this guy. Uh, My one thing is a show that I finally finally wrapped up here uh, a little bit back a few days ago uh, and that show's Maniac, it's on Netflix and I really really do love love that show. Uh, it was like a limited series and it's been out for a little while and it got some got some attention when it first came out. but it's got a killer cast. Emma stone and, and Jonah Hill are are the two principal characters within the story but there's a whole laundry list of other awesome awesome uh actors and actresses that are that are that are in that show i don't want to say too much to to spoil the fun if you haven't watched it because there's some some really cool people that are that are in the show but overall i like it it's an onion there's layers it's a far out trip i would say watch it, watch that first episode and then watch two or three more episodes and then go back and listen to, or watch like the first 90 seconds of the first episode again. And then go do that at the end of the series, whenever you wrap it up. And I feel like that's a, it's, it's a pretty good framing device. It's again, it's la- there's layers to what the story is about. And it's one of those things that you can sort of debate the reasoning and the, the intent of, of the director. So it's a uh, Carrie Fukunaga. Uh, did I say his name right? Fukunaga. Uh, he is someone that's done a variety of different things. He did do the first season of True Detective. Which is pretty pretty great. He's done a variety of, of other types of materials. Uh, also. But that's the thing that I know him the most from. Uh, and this is this has a total different feel to it. And it's a total different trip. It's bizarro. It's super funny. It's pretty pretty dark.
0: I like it a lot.
2: Sweet. Yeah, that's been on my queue for a long time, but I still haven't pulled the trigger on it.
0: What if I watch it and feel like it's a parfait and not an onion? Can we discuss that?
1: Yeah, we could.
0: Okay. all right. Yeah, I look forward to it. (laughs) I will close out our one thing with my one thing, which is the movie Creed 2, which my wife and I went and saw. I didn't love it as much as I loved the first Creed, but it does have a couple of themes that run throughout it that are some of my favorite pet themes to see in fiction, such as like toxic familial relations and, uh, daddy issues, I guess would be a big one. So if you don't know the gist of the plot, Creed is kind of on top of the world, Adonis Creed. And out of nowhere, the son of Ivan Drago shows up and he wants a piece of Creed. And they kind of play on the fact that Apollo Creed was murdered by Ivan Drago. So Victor Drago shows up. He's just as big and bad as his dad was without the steroids and he and Creed fight because it's a boxing movie. So I guess you can guess the rest from there. (laughs) That trailer was super
2: nostalgic while also coming across as being sort of fresh, if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, I think that maybe that was part of why I didn't like. So Ryan Coogler directed the first one and he didn't do this one, but he helped to produce it. And Stallone didn't get to write the first Creed movie, but he did get to write this one, and I think you can tell because he dips into that nostalgia pool just a little too much for what I wanted. I guess if you really, if you're like a Rocky super fan, you probably will will not mind that as much. But for me, it was just a little too much. Like, hey, remember this? Uh, look at that. Remember this thing that happened? Uh, that kind of stuff. I didn't need that as much as I needed this showdown between two sons of two people of like three men, essentially since Adonis Creed kind of uses Rocky as a surrogate father. Uh, I, I liked that part of it the best, but go see it. It's cool. What do we call that when we have these three things and we put them together, Josh? One thing. That sounds about right. <laughs> totally right. Do we want to do the story? Do you think the people want that?
2: I I guess I guess so. Is that I guess what that's, people come here for? I don't know why they come here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't I don't know. No. Um, sparkling I assume it's sparkling sort of
1: personalities.
0: personalities. That's it. Yeah, yeah. They like the smell of our, our musk or something. Mm. Vibrant
1: conversation. Witty banter. <laughs> Witty banter and, and candor on the microphones.
2: Yet incisive. Dogs. Yeah, we talk about dogs. Incisive literary Discussion
0: (laughs) Divisive Literary discussion And maybe divisive at times We'll see I think we could be talking about a sort of divisive story tonight I feel like that might happen What do you think?
1: Yeah, no, I think you're right
0: I have a feeling
2: that some of us feel differently about this story than others
0: I also feel like there's some hard feelings that surround anything that comes from the year 1910 (laughs) Why might that be? Uh, we'll dig into that. Maybe that'll be one of each of our three things that we want to talk yeah. about. Okay, <laughs> maybe. Luke, would you perchance have the publication information for our listeners? Uh,
1: so this story was first put out in uh, the magazine adventure, right? Mm-hmm. February of 1912 is what I have here. Uh, the cover of that magazine which is if you if you read this via Project Gutenberg you're going to see the uh, the cover to adventure it is relating specifically to this Talbot Mundy story i think we mentioned it in our last recording that this is a this is a short story that has been heralded as perhaps the 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 most famous or the most popular or the best i don't know which of those terms is most appropriate here of the stories published within that magazine and it's regarded as one of Talbot Mundy's best. It's not we're not familiar with Talbot Mundy having like we haven't covered his materials uh up to this point. Have you guys ever read him before?
2: No, and I'd never really heard of him before we started digging into who Howard's literary influences were. Yeah. Had you, John?
0: No, I've never I've never had any exposure to him. Uh maybe once upon a time if somebody was talking about Kipling they maybe mentioned him in passing because I feel like I've heard the name before. Mm-hmm. But then I know that I've heard it when we've talked about yeah, who is Robert E. Howard's sort of literary forebear group, and he always seems to come up in that discussion. Mm-hmm.
2: And yeah. and he's certainly firmly within the same family of uh, writers as H. Rider Haggard, Um,
0: wouldn't you say? Rudyard Kipling, oh, yeah. Kipling and him yeah. seem to be the guys that Monday is co- is compared to the most. Yeah. Yeah. So could, maybe we'll, we'll just pass off some basic information about Monday. He is an Englishman who spent a lot of his time in America. He is best known for writing King of the Kyber Rifles and a series of books or stories called the Jim Grimm series. So mm-hmm. he did a lot of pulp stuff as well. Uh, I don't know enough about him to really cover in any detail. My, my bare bones understanding is that he was very interested in things like Christian science And then Theosophy at one point, he really liked Blavatsky's writings, and we've talked about her before. Yeah. And it also seems like he got married a lot from what I gathered. (laughs) Uh, He had four or five wives, I think. Five. Yeah. So uh, it sounds like him and Haggard and Kipling are a part of this English colonial writing style that was popular at one point. But from what also I've gathered is that uh, Mundy seems to take a rather anti colonial stance, whereas his compatriots were less inclined to that, that they were a little more hardcore for, for Britain for all mm-hmm. kind of attitude. Which is
1: contrary to a lot of the feel of this story, though, right? I think so. I would agree with that. <laughs>
2: yeah, this, this story does not exemplify that. It, it, it seems like it would fall in line with, uh, you know, Ryder Haggard or Kipling or any of the other authors we've mentioned so far.
0: Yeah. Um, actually I have a lot to say about that. I feel like, uh, that can be one of my one things for this episode that we're one of our three little discussion points is that I can see where reading through this story, it feels very colonial and it, uh, cause there's a lot of colonial attitudes displayed, but I also feel like he's trying to tap in to something that's a little beyond colonialism, which is that, that brotherhood that exists amongst people who go into battle together Mm-hmm and how they may need something like a flag to rally around and to use as a common source of inspiration. And I, I understand it is colonial. Like There's no getting around that. I don't disagree with what you're saying, but I also feel like there's a streak of something beyond colonialism in it. Is that fair to say?
2: No? Uh, well, I'm, I'm processing what you said yeah. and thinking about it.
1: I mean, yeah, I think the overriding theme of the story is, like, we marry a band of brothers, and yeah. discipline, and the, the stiff upper lip, stick-to-itiveness, I've got a job to do, so I'm going to do my job, uh, classic British military persona, but still, <laughs> this is very much a story about uh, colonial... Culture
0: About okay. coming down from the mountain And teaching it to the the natives right. Yeah there yeah. we go <laughs> and, it, and it's pretty clear at least in the
2: first Chapter that that is what's Going on like that's the feel of What our uh, Protagonist uh, Grogram Is doing like he's Tasked with You know he's retired he's a Retired what's essentially a Drill sergeant right and he's Been very good at getting squads and regiments in, in, uh, in order and sort of whipping them into shape. And he's brought in to put together the first, uh, the, uh, first Egyptian foot, I think is what they're called. Like they're, uh, yeah. And, uh, so that's his task. He's retired, but he does, he can't live a, an idle life. Like this is the only thing he knows to do. And so he's going to do it. And a lot of the language in the first chapter is is very um, uh, well colonial. It's colonial language, like um, sentences like you know they didn't even know they were men until Grogram taught them that they were. Yeah, and and so to me, it is it is a very colonial story because uh, we have a British guy coming into uh, Egypt and taking. Uh, Egyptians and applying British standards of military and uh, this, this ethos of uh, the regiment is above all other things. And the colors are the important thing here and you, you have a job to do and let's do it. On the other hand though, Grogram at, at one point to, to relate to his soldiers begins uh, teaching them music and begins to, to sort of understand that music is is this way in which he can sort of communicate with them or, or uh, give gives them all sort of an equal playing field because he's not a musician himself, but he's able to teach them some some music. And music plays an important part in this story, I would say. So yeah. I, I guess I see I see what you're saying to back to your original point, John. Mm -hmm. But I I also think that the the colonial aspect of the first chapter of the story is is pretty hard to pretty hard to ignore.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I don't think it should be ignored. I think it definitely needs to be confronted and talked about because there are some attitudes on display that we obviously are at odds with as modern people. Um, I think that they're ugly and I'm not trying to excuse them, but I do think that there's something here. I guess I'm trying to understand if we're talking about Talbot Mundy as a forebear to Robert E. Howard, who is a classical, uh, classically is against colonialism, right? That's Howard's hallmark is civilization is no good and barbarism will conquer overall. So how could he respect somebody that wrote a story like this?
2: I guess, I mean, there's a lot of reductive, Sort of uh shortcut writing in Howard, like think about the uh the age essay
1: mm-hmm.
2: and how you know we have this this condensed history of earth and empires rising out of uh flames and barbarism into civilization and then being dragged back down by invading barbarians and this is the theme that happens time and time and time again in you know the backdrop of the Conan stories. If you look at the greater geopolitical polit- or the, the greater geopolitical uh, story, the machinations that are happening in the background of, um, uh, soul of a regiment, a similar thing is playing out on a, a shorter time scale, right? Like he right. Out- outlines this conflict in, uh, Northern Africa, right? Between, uh, these various forces, and it is this conflict that his regiment is drawn into. And I, I think, I think two things. One, that is one thing that Howard would have been drawn to.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And, uh, two, the, the other thing that Howard would have been drawn in into, uh, with this story. And, and I guess, I don't know if he ever read the story or not, but we can surmise that he probably did. Uh, if he read the story he might have dug it because of the the masculine nature of the the story like it's it's a very sort of to to go back to last episode uh, uh there are aspects of honor culture here that i think are undeniable that play into like what the the title soul of a regiment actually means
0: so a band of brothers kind of feel
2: yeah
1: i wish that mundy would have spent more effort telling us about (laughs) the, the majority of the regiment rather than the, the drill sergeant that trains them up. Like it's, it's, it's so distasteful because of the focus on the, what's the right term? Racialist. That's a, that's a term that pops up in the literature. It's, uh, which is construed or uh, maybe is rightly construed as racist in a lot of in a lot of lights in the current day and age but the the focus on civilized versus barbaric tribal people being taught like Howard loves to build in the sandbox of barbarism, Mundy does not in this story. Like this Mm -hmm. is, this is absolutely about, uh, with a wave of a hand dismissal of the, the merits of the air quotes, barbaric culture that is being, you know, basically beaten out of the people by the British Imperial army. Mm -hmm. I mean, is that fair to say? Like he,
2: Oh yeah, I think it is um but
0: if literally he's got a stick and he right, beats Yeah it with yeah it. he
2: beats him with it uh, until he realizes that that isn't working right like he's he does come up with an alternative means of of communicating which i think to mundy's credit uh perhaps other writers of the time might not have taken that tack maybe i don't know um but if we if we look at the the structure of the story, it's broken down into three chapters. and each chapter kind of serves as its own uh, act in this play. right. And act one is is putting the regiment together. Act two is the regiment gets drawn into war. And uh, the fallout of that is that only five of them survive, right? The drummer, three, five players, and a mad dancing Englishman. Um, and they're seen throughout the countryside, right? Like, people talk about, like, the, this crazy band of, of people that uh, are, are out there. Three years later, we have uh, the third act begins. And um, the, uh, in Cairo, there is a polo tournament about to happen. And the regiment kind of crashes the opening ceremonies of it. And if I understand Mundy's point with this story, it's that if, if the band, if the group didn't have the cohesion that, uh, how did you phrase it, John? Like the band of brothers. If they didn't have that, that... Uh, that draw between them, that thing holding them together, then they would not have survived. I think.
0: I think there's something to that. I mean, they're kept captive by the modest forces. It seems for some time, right? Like he's, he's been beaten and whipped.
2: Mm -hmm. There's evidence
0: that he's been a prisoner of war to an effect and that they were maybe kept for entertainment. For some time by the modest uh, forces that are led by Muhammad Ahmad that were the ones responsible for the siege of Khartoum that the rest of the regiment was killed in. Mm -hmm. So I agree like they probably survived together, but then they're kind of kept as this weird mascot maybe to be jeered at because it's this imperialist that came down and imposed these things on fellow Africans. And now we're going to make him dance for it or something. Okay. I, I don't know. <laughs> okay. Maybe.
2: I was I, I was curious about the fact that this um, group were uh, identified as dervishes. And I wanted to ask you guys if you knew much about dervishes.
1: I, of course, queried that after reading this story, just to get a little bit more information. I mean, <clears throat> what act, what, what that term actually means, mm-hmm. uh, is different than my, you know, my original sort of archetypical or stereotypical sort of mindset.
2: Yeah. Mine too. So it's, it's just a, a means of, uh, it, it's a, a group, a subset of people who, uh, use, a variety of means um, to achieve a mindset that allows them greater understanding or greater communication with the uh, the Almighty. Is that fair to say?
1: Uh, I mean, I was looking at it in terms of like the specific era of fighters. Like, oh, that's got it. What, that's, okay. what, that's, what, that's what the... That's what I came across. That okay. It was a it's a term used to refer to a very specific era of time, like, a, like what okay. we're reading here.
2: So what I keyed into was the, the Whirling Dervish, right? And what what that is, if I understand it correctly, is uh just a means of spiritual pursuit in which the 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 Whirling Dervish actually dances or or twirls or uh, chants or some combination of all of these things to put themselves into an ecstatic mindset uh, from which they can glean greater understanding of uh, the universe and God. Um, and I thought it was interesting that and not all dervishes are are whirling dervishes, I should add like that that's not universal but but uh, some uh aspects of of the whirling dervishes can be found in other dervish traditions is what i understand okay and i thought it was interesting that grogram teaches his band of uh fighters music and dancing or or they they use music and dancing as a means of of um achieving this sort of mindset that Allows them to function on another level, right? Function as a regiment and be drawn in together. Okay. Um, in much the same way that a whirling dervish might use music and dancing to uh, achieve some sort of uh, spiritual uh, awakening, some uh, gain some sort of knowledge, uh, what have you, like a more spiritual pursuit.
1: Okay. So, so what else, guys? We've we've talked through a couple different points, uh, and I guess. I don't know. Like one of the things that I really did appreciate with this story was the format at which it was told. Like Josh, you referred to the structure of it being almost like a play. You've got Mm. these three acts that are kind of separated by time. That's one of the things that I, that I liked the most about, about this story. The writing is clearly, I think spot on and, and, and good. I think the structure of the story bodes well for almost it presents this story of like a, like a military, like I don't know, a folktale or something. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a story that you would be picking up in the you know the, the Her Majesty's service. Like mm-hmm. in World War Two, stories would be told about like the 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 soul of this regiment and the colors and the Egyptian foot, mm-hmm. like as a, as a rallying cry. I mean, I think that's the feel that, that Mundy is going for. And that's one of the things that I really did like about this story.
2: Yeah. It scales up, doesn't it? It, it, uh, it, it starts as sort of a very personal story and then it scales up to this war and this battle and, and larger, uh, things happening within this region. And then it scales back down to show the aftermath of what happens to this regiment and the fact that they stay together, um, you know, and survive. Yeah, I like that uh, that idea of this being a uh, military folktale. That's that's cool.
1: Yeah, I I like it uh, from that regard. I'll, I'll be honest. I'll be honest. Like the, I didn't like this story all that much. Uh, in terms of the content and the the topic at hand, and just the overall, I guess like. Uh, moral follow through, like maybe what you're supposed to feel out of it. Uh, I didn't, I didn't like those things, but I do, I do like the writing and I do, I can't, I can see exactly how Howard would have been like inspired by the clear place and time of this writing, because there is an absolute assumption that, you know, what is going on in that, like that horn of Africa, theater (laughs) Mm -hmm. at this point in time. Like you had to, to really get it. You've almost either got to have your Wikipedia page up reading it alongside it or have your encyclopedia Britannica open or be someone that's already well-versed in, you know, the, the quote unquote, like, uh, you know, civilization of Africa.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: John, did you enjoy the historical context of the story?
0: Uh, I wanted to, but I felt like I wasn't given enough. Like Luke said, I had to look up the siege of Khartoum mm-hmm. and this whole war that we're being told about. I mean, I could have guess. I guess I could have experienced it as sort of a fictional thing. I didn't need to know it for the the base message of the story to get through. That that this guy is a real man because he kept the flag tied to his body this whole time. Spoiler alert. I guess. <laughs> I guess. Uh, but. Uh I didn't I didn't end up enjoying that historical aspect because the most historical parts of it are these colonial attitudes that we've already sort of denigrated here this evening. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I, I mean <laughs> my my subversive take on the story is I want the drill sergeant to learn more from the people he's quote unquote civilizing and teaching and ultimately, you know uh a Maasai shield (laughs) is the soul of the regiment. Like there's some sort of bastardization of the, the, the British imperial culture and, or some welding or blending or I don't know, something like that. I just hate that this story is all about the one rando Brit, like teaching the native people's, the, the better way. And I, I don't know what those people's story is other than they were, you know, in in the way that Monday presents it, they didn't know any better and they needed to be, uh, shown how to be men and fighters. And they were, they were drafted, they were enlisted, they were pulled in.
2: Yeah.
0: You can almost feel that story underneath it, right? This, this story that we are talking about that we wanted because He learns to love them, it talks about, and there is this sort of brotherhood that builds between them where they're armed forces, they're together, and they're going to go fight, but it still is this weird, weirdly elitist feeling that you get just from the writing of the story, and then to have it boil down to him, and is it four or three other guys? So four, there's the five,
1: and the drummers, and then him.
0: So what are their names? And yeah, we, yeah. we don't know. Giant epic mausoleum. Lame. That, they survive the same thing, right? <laughs> right.
2: Like the the whole here lies a man. Yeah. Um
1: is that's distasteful. I mean, it's it's just just uh I I don't know. Like it's hard to talk about this story in 2018. Uh, But we're doing it. We're giving it. We're giving it our college (laughs) try. We'll do it. (laughs) We're doing as best we can here. So we're the Chromecast. So so (laughs) be a little bit forgiving with this. But it's not. This is a very personal uh, narrative. It's about one hero. Like that's the way that it's told,
2: (laughs) (laughs) which is funny because he is teaching them how to be a team. Right. Right. Like the theme of the theme of the story is at odds with the ending of the story to me.
1: He, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like you could almost. Like <laughs> it,
2: it, 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 if it held with Monday's thesis, it should have ended not with here lies a man, but here stands a regiment. Like, because right. the other dudes held true and kept each other alive. Like they, they but we don't know their names or their stories we only know grogram and and he he relies a man like he dies and he gets his epitaph and, yeah, and, he's and still that's still
1: singular that's, as a man like yeah. it's still s- smacks of uh ra- a racist viewpoint of <laughs> yes. yeah. of of he is the man and the other native people are still not quite that.
2: Yeah. Like what about what happened with all the regiment stuff? What about all the regiment talk? Yeah. <laughs> we marry
1: a band of brothers. Like they <laughs> Exactly. <Yeah. laughs>
2: but a man What lies would have been man.
0: different if it had been the four survivors erecting a monument to him? No, I don't uh, I don't know. Then
1: then you get into like the 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 white Jesus kind of like I guess, white savior yeah. white savior kind of
0: Which is kind of in this.
1: Yeah. Right.
0: The Last Samurai kind of thing. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: so I think what we're essentially saying is
2: we don't like it. Well, I didn't like it much. And uh, I sent you guys a pretty extensive Facebook message about it earlier.
1: And it was radio silence for me. And I didn't hear anything so from you guys. <laughs> but my, my radio <laughs> silence was I didn't want to like... Uh, pooping our breakfast cereal before we before we got on the mics to wow. like to talk about it. Like I, I think there are, are good things in terms of the writing of this story. And if Mundy truly does have sort of an anti-colonial through line in his larger works, that would be interesting. I I don't want I don't we weren't we weren't hoodwinked uh, because we didn't consult anybody when we selected the story. We just That's saw right. a couple of references and we knew that this was a short story and that it was a heralded short story and that it would be a good one to to a uh, quote unquote good one for us to read. But, uh,
0: it makes me want to ring King of the Kyber rifles. Yeah. Right. Which is supposed to be like his big deal, but it's which also maybe a much it has longer more of what we want. Yeah. It's yeah. a little longer.
2: I don't know. I, I, I think that the through line falls apart at the end. Um, not that the narrative falls apart. Like he tells the story that he wanted to tell, Yep. but I think the, um, the theme doesn't hold together.
1: Yeah. So an appeal to our listeners, uh, tell us why we're wrong. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Be, be critical of our critical analysis. Like if, if there are things that we're missing here, let us know if you're knowledgeable of a Howard's, consumption of this story let us know if you like if you have any other insight let us know we'll come back to monday i'm sure with our conversations in in latter episodes uh and i don't know if any of us reads the kyber rifles uh novel or that longer form piece Mm -hmm. that's something that we can we can chime in about like it's just going to be a matter of can we do some do some extra credit work uh but this story for better or worse was a good read for us i feel like setting a setting us up for what we're gonna keep on getting into
2: yeah i I mean i i guess my language was a little strong i i mean dude i don't i think it's okay i I, (laughs) I was i was not unhappy that i read the story i just was kind of put off by the end
0: yeah so if we take a look because we kind of signed up for like adventure season Right in the yeah. desert, right, and this is not, not I do, really well, I much d- of an adventure.
1: I do like the sub. Subver- so I guess that is something else, though, that I do like about the story is that this is a subversion of what you would think. It's the like all of the action happens off stage, mm-hmm. which I think to Mundy's credit is absolutely a good way for him to tell the story that he's wanting to tell, regardless of our our critical eye towards what that story is. That is a cool storytelling device. And I applaud that kind of structure. I, I like that. I like it when you can, when you can tell a high story, but never show the heist. And <laughs> You can say we're building up to the big ass fight. And then you like jump to right after the big ass fight where everybody's got black eyes and you say, man, that was a horrible fight. We, I, I'm glad we just barely survived it. <laughs> I like those things, but
0: I feel I, like that's happened before. In bourbon and barbarians,
1: <laughs> <laughs> somebody likes that that device.
2: Um, what what about the the theme of the colors in this story, like the the flag itself? Were you guys able to relate or latch on to the 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 use of that in any way?
0: Hmm. Yes and no. Okay. Let's hear it. So, yes, and oh, I'll say no first in that I have never been much for that kind of stuff. Like, I remember being in groups. I went to this thing called Boys St- or Boys State at, in Indiana. We are supposed to learn about government, and you get put in this group, and we were like the Sycamore group, and we were supposed to salute our flag every morning, and I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. So... <laughs> I, I hate it in some ways, but then I think about my life in other ways and I, I realize that when I see the Purdue flag or things of that nature, that there is something that swells in me and I want to protect those things because it's some sort of tribe that I joined mm-hmm. and I understand how that can be manipulated by the armed forces to create a system of connectivity so that soldiers work together better. Like, we are the first Egyptian foot, and these are our colors, and you can't say anything bad about them or do anything bad to them. Otherwise, we're going to mess you up. Like, I understand what is at play there, mm-hmm. but I don't necessarily like the idea of it. Does that make any sense? <laughs> it does. Yeah, it
2: absolutely does. Uh, okay. I think the colors uh, make some, some practical sense and some symbolic sense, like the practical nature of them is if, if you're on an, uh, an ancient battle, uh, uh, maybe not really ancient, but if you're on a battlefield and you're a foot soldier and you are in the middle of a chaotic battle, then you can see where the rest of your dudes are. If you get separated and you can make it over to them, hopefully and and rally, like it's a rally point on the battlefield. Um, but it's the symbolic nature of them that I'm most interested in. The, the things that you were saying there about, you know, you can't say anything bad about this because what what is what is symbolized here? It's it, it, to me, it's, uh, I guess it's it depends it's a case by case kind of thing, but is it a symbol of sacrifice? Like do, do those colors represent uh, fallen, Soldiers that have died in service to the regiment. Do, do the colors represent uh, that mixed with the hopes of the regiment? Right. Like if you spit on our flag, our regiment's flag, then you're, you're spitting on all of us plus our history. I, you know think what I'm that saying? Like I'm trying to,
0: we want to believe in, but the real psychological aspect of it is, is that your individual personality is subsumed by a group identity that rallies around those colors. Like they need you to believe that that is you because once you believe that you'll do anything to defend it because if something bad happens to it, it's happening to you. It's not happening to a flag. It's happening to you and your brothers and your friends, Mm. your family. That is the deep down part that they want to have happen.
2: So it's an umbrella kind of like it, it, uh, by protecting it, you're pre- protecting yourself and each other.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I feel like Luke. Do you agree? Disagree?
1: I do. If somebody I, I, spat I,
0: on the Cromcast Mountains, would you be upset or?
1: No, I'm. I am not. I, I am not. <laughs> no. a, I am not a, not a nationalist. <laughs> right. Exactly. But, and and I mean, I really, I feel strongly with the story that you described john as far as like the the boy state experience and like that kind of that kind of mentality i don't know i i think what the colors are supposed to represent in this story are uh civilization like discipline manhood uh those classic themes and not necessarily like her majesty's mighty army nor like jolly old England, but they absolutely do. Like it's all about the white man and here was a man and here was a British hero. And not <laughs> I, I I don't I don't like that sentiment. I'm I'm I I sort of frame, I think, my loyalties at this point in my life far more close to home, i.e. like uh my my family, my friends, my, my circle, like my, my community, and then much broader and the whole like middle ground, uh, that oftentimes you would see like these types of rallying cries being based around mean less to me more and (laughs) mean less to me more and more as, as I, as I move along. And maybe that's my, my, uh, Howardian hero and my, my barbaric side coming through. I think it absolutely ties into that.
2: Yeah. So I'm going to shift gears a little bit here and move over to the, the word cloud. Uh, so the, for, for those just tuning in, this is something we introduced last episode. Uh, we're producing word clouds from all of the words that, uh, were included in this story. Uh, if you're interested in our methods, um, Please check out the blog post for episode one of the season. That that's season eight, episode one, um, the uh daughter of Ehrlich Khan. And we go into it uh in some depth in that episode. But uh so I'm gonna spare the the overview of how we do it and just talk about what it is. So if you are, are interested in the word cloud, go to the Chromecast.blogspot.com. It'll be there linked from uh this episode's blog post. And we have here uh, two blog posts, or sorry, uh, two word clouds, one uh, with the main character's name included and one with it removed. And let's focus on the one with it removed. And if we do that, we see the biggest word, the most common word in the story is regiment. You can tell it's the biggest word there, the largest font size. Um, Almost equivalent with regiment are the words man and men, followed by the word one, O-N-E, as in singular. Um, and those are the, the big ones. Uh, after that, we have words like colonel and band and marched and colors. And I think it's interesting that uh, the word one is more frequently used than the word colors. Um, and je- the, the word one and the word regiment are almost on equal footing. And if we think about the theme of the story, again, Mundy is giving us this treatise on why a regiment survives. Like, it's it's group survival. But he also, as we've pointed out, kind of uh, talks about the singular nature of a special person like Grogram. And And I just find those two things at odds with one another, which is really my biggest complaint with the story.
1: So, so in terms of the word clouds that are here for this story versus, uh, last episode, a question I was going to ask Josh is there's far fewer words here in these word clouds. That's true. What's the relationship
2: there? Um, the word cloud only takes into account the most frequent words. So it's, it, it's no, um, It uh, factors in the, the, uh, the total number of words. Like it's, it, uh, help me out here. It's standardized, right? Okay. And so our minimum cutoff is, uh, 16 mentions. So,
1: okay.
2: So I, I picked that number arbitrarily because it seemed to work and it seemed to not overwhelm. Um, so if the words are mentioned 16 times or more than they are on this word cloud, okay. the same with, uh, Ehrlich Okay. And so if we compare these side by side, you may find that Ehrlich Khan's word cloud, uh, there are more words there. Um, but, uh, again, we are just interested for the purposes of the word clouds in really frequent words. Like what are the words that the author is key into? And, Uh, can we glean any kind of additional meaning from those uh, the frequencies of those words? Right. Uh, So the word cloud is there on the blog spot for those of you who might be interested in it. Yep. And uh, I I do think it's interesting that, once again, this is a a Monday story, and man and men and one were common words in the Howard story last week.
1: Yeah, and there's no reference to... uh either britain or england like there's there's no references to like to uh to you know the the colors and the regiment that are that are rallied around yeah just just
2: that it is a regiment
1: i think that's interesting (laughs) uh there's a lot of unspoken affiliations though in this story though
2: yeah i mean it's clear that it's coming from a British standpoint, right? Like it, it's clear that Grogram is the one in charge and Grogram really is the distillation of the British uh, military system here. Like he's, he's a staunch, no nonsense uh, uh, supporter of, of, of the British military system. And uh, he went, when standard, Issue methods fail, and when uh, physical punishment fails, he is uh, flexible enough to turn to uh, music and dancing, which is interesting, I think. Um,
1: and he's a cog in the imperialistic
2: machine. That's true.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he, is he is Grand Moff Tarkin. He is he is absolutely <laughs> the man. Air quotes. Quote, like,
0: quote, yeah. quote quote. Quote quote. Quote quote. quote, 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 quote Quite right, quite right. Do we have English listeners? Are they going to be offended? Oh, no, I mean,
1: we absolutely Jim? do. no Nomad yeah, Jim?
0: Nomad got, Jim, you're right, yeah.
1: We've got a strong representation of our uh, sisters and brothers across
0: the pond. Across the pond.
1: Uh, Jolly old England. What, what, what? I don't know.
0: I want to know, then, what they feel when they read this story. Yeah. That's I a, think that that would be interesting.
2: That would be interesting.
1: Tell us, tell us, tell
2: us. Well, if they were, how will they tell us, Josh? If they were so inclined, they could turn their browsers toward thechromcast.blogspot.com. From there, they could send us an email. Uh, that email address is thechromcast at gmail.com. They could call us at 859-429-CHROM. They could also follow us on Twitter. at us. Let us know. Um they can find us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash the Chromecast. And uh we're on Instagram. Drop that knowledge on you last week, Luke. We picked up some list uh some uh followers on Instagram. That's right. This week. So uh uh one person, uh our friend uh I'll just say Starships and Steel. Um said, Holy crap, you are on Instagram. <laughs> so that was pretty funny. Uh so yep, we're there. Uh if you want to see pictures of uh of us sitting around the table with microphones in front of us and drinks in our hands, uh that's the place to see it. That is where we put that. I think that's all of the methods they can use.
1: Yeah, we're pretty easy. Just make sure you don't look for Chromecast, you look for Chromecast. And yep, <laughs> if, if Google or your browser of preference i don't know what else that would be i guess being uh if if you if 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 you put in chromecast and it says no here's chromecast say no i really wanted chromecast and you'll find and then
0: it will say do you mean comcast and we'll say no No. again yeah chromecast
1: for reals you really do mean chromecast
0: we should sue those guys (laughs)
2: Uh, (laughs) i am pretty sure that we were around before google chromecast i
1: want to see us get up in in a court of law, much like Charlie and It's Always Sunny, <laughs> representing himself as he's wont to do with his specialization in bird law, we're gonna be up there like specializing in in <laughs>
0: podcast law. <laughs> I want Jimmy Stewart to represent us.
2: <laughs> uh, it'll be us with. Uh, disheveled suits and crooked ties, yeah. and a uh, wall with r- strings that uh, intertwine and lead uh, everywhere.
1: A murder board. Uh, one of us is absolutely going to be wearing like the t-shirt tux- tuxedo. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> to, <laughs> to and, court.
2: <laughs> and we're interested in who you think that one will be.
1: Let us know. Okay, guys. So uh, let's let's put a. Let's put a couple
0: nails. Let's put a tuxedo shirt on this episode. Yeah. yeah.
1: What are we reading next, guys?
2: Uh, next time, we're going back to the Howard whoop stories. Whoop. Yeah. For Hawk of the Hills, another El Borac joint. And uh, that's linked from our page from the Season 8 uh, story list. And it's on Project Gutenberg, Australia. Thank goodness for the Australians and, and <laughs> their lax copyright laws.
1: Man, there better be some buckles
0: get, that get swashed. Real hard. Yeah, I was that's gonna say, I polish your pistols, I, uh, sharpen your simtar. I did mention get ready for El Boric.
2: I did mention that I didn't like this story very much to Ashley last night, and she said, "I thought you used to read barbarian stories." So I'm <laughs> I'm eager to get back to Borak, uh, who is kind of a uh, more of a barbarian than uh, Grogram.
1: Yeah, I want to see him roaming around on some hillsides, ex- ex- uh, extracting some revenge. I don't know if that's going to happen, but. If the Are we imagining story. him as
0: Thomas Jane? Is that what we decided on?
1: No, no.
2: Is not, it Elijah Wood?
1: It's not. Uh, no, it was the uh, it was the dude from Lost. The other no, like it wasn't him. From was Lost, no, no. Uh, Sorry, the other the other one. It's um, oh, Mary, that's right. The oh, other oh, Hobbit, Mary, yeah, not not Pippin, but Mary, yeah, the other one,
2: Mary Adock, Brandybuck.
1: yeah. That's that's my casting call is uh, okay is is somebody that has played a Hobbit, but probably not <laughs> Elijah Wood.
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or fair sean astin
2: <laughs> yeah not sean astin for el yeah he's
1: he's he's a little bit too rotund too i mean he's not like a rotund dude but he is he's a little bit thicker and yeah yeah we need a, a lith uh compact sinui
0: about finn wolfhart or whatever his name is from stranger things he's a
2: little young
1: <laughs> who's like,
0: that He's uh, the kid with the glasses
2: from It, the, the new Oh, yeah.
1: yeah, maybe in 10 years or something.
2: Maybe. Well, we've well. run out of things to say. <laughs> <laughs>
0: You're driving the bus. <laughs> this is- oh, uh, this is the last stop, so everybody get off the bus. <laughs> <laughs> last call. All right,
2: well, we'll see everybody a little bit further down the road to the east. No, we
1: need it. eat some so come on
2: We're the soul of a
0: <laughs> podcast. We are the soul of the podcast. <laughs> like Here lies said, a podcast. I like you said. a podcast. You're a podcast. I should have done that <laughs> with my ass. Uh-